Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello and welcome listeners to this week's episode of Feeling Film. I'm Aaron with my best friend and co-host here, Patrick. As always, how are you? I'm good, man. I am uh, enjoying the weekend after getting back from Alabama. It exhausted me beyond what I expected it would. I didn't realize how tired I was until I got back home, had dinner with my family, decided to lay down for a few minutes, and that few minutes turned into nine hours. (laughs) I was was exhausted from the drive. I recognize more now my introversion and how if I give and give and give, my introversion just sort of takes over and says, okay, you're done. I spent 16 hours back and forth from and to Alabama in a car with two other people with good conversation. But by the end of it, I was like, don't talk to me for two days. I just want to stop. So it's good. Otherwise, Well, I'm glad you got to rest up and get I some did. refreshment because that is very important after a trip like that. It's too bad and you I got didn't to watch a good a... movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. It's too bad you didn't have a transwarp key. Would have made it a lot quicker and easier. Yes, it would have. Uh, it probably wouldn't have made the work any better. <laughs> but it would have if yes. the helicopter was a transformer. Dude, that would have been incredibly <laughs> difficult to shoot. It would have been like like would you stay still? Stop moving and don't be shiny because that helps with my shoot. I can't have that. But <laughs> every time I kid you not, uh for, probably for the next week I'm going <laughs> to drive down the road and every like weird looking car I'm going to think is that thing going to come alive and start like skating down the road instead of just driving. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, folks, if you didn't, for some reason, look at the title of this episode when you downloaded it and you can't figure it out, we're talking about Transformers Rise of the Beasts this week. And as always, we will be spoiling the heck out of it. In particular, something that is a very big surprise. And if you have made it this far without learning what that is, hopefully that means you aren't on social media. Uh, Because I can't imagine if you're on social media, you have successfully dodged it (laughs) if you didn't go see the movie yet. But anyway, the point is, we're going to tell you what happens in this movie, as well as spoil the heck out of it. So go see it. And also, you might want to hurry, because coming out next week, we have both The Flash and Elementals, and Across the Spider-Verse is still going strong. And so these big movie screens that are housing the blockbusters are being taken up by a new movie, it feels like, every single week. And they're just going to push things out quickly. And so I don't think you're going to have quite as long as you might normally have had to go see something like Transformers, but it's worth it, I think. And we'll find out what Patrick thinks right now. Here we go. Patrick, I told you after I saw this, I think I texted you right away and said, that was awesome. I had a blast. I rewatched the entire series leading up to this so that I could do an episode with my full rankings on FF Plus. That's there, folks, if you want to go listen to it. And what I have found is that I just practically enjoy all of these, with one exception. I enjoy almost anything to do with these Transformer movies. They can have flaws, but there is something inherently so much fun (laughs) about gigantic robots, sometimes that are funny, oftentimes that are really badass. And I just, I eat it up, man. I didn't even grow up a big Transformers fan. And I did not know what the Beast Wars were i had no knowledge of this going into the movie my big takeaway was why are they calling this rise of the beasts when the maximals are in it for like 20 minutes and only one or two of them talk that was kind of one of my biggest criticisms of it personally is i wanted more maximals for it to be a movie about the beasts but anywho that's like my real quick introduction here but what did you think about it did you have fun and also what was your history if any with the Beast Wars. I had no history with Beast Wars. I stopped watching Transformers when it went away the first time back in like the late ni- late eighties, early nineties, and it came back as Transformers Prime, which is essentially I remember seeing it on television, and it was essentially like a show that flashed back to previous seasons. So Transformers Prime was an updated animated version. And I think Beast Wars was part of that, but I never experienced 
that. And so Rise of the Beast was one of those things where I was like, okay, yeah, I remember hearing about Beast Wars, don't know much about it. So I didn't have any kind of standardization or any kind of like foundation of like, okay, how good is this going to be? Which is good because for me, the Transformers franchise has been hit or miss. And we know my love-hate relationship with Michael Bay. The first one was good because I was wanting Transformers. I was ready for my live action. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, Bay is one of the guys that should be doing it. I mean, he's big action. And when you're dealing with giant robots, you got to have big action. But over the course of those movies, it just it was just so big. And to a point where it got bloated. And by the time Age of Extinction and the last night hit, I was kind of ready to be done with it. And then when Bumblebee came around, it really set a tone of like, okay, we can have a Transformers movie that shows the scale of these robots and still give it heart, still give it meaning, still give it a story that's not just a bunch of action set pieces. And I think that when you look at like Armageddon, we've talked about this when we talked about Armageddon, when you give Michael Bay a little bit of a fence to work with, and you give him a team of people that know what they're doing in terms of like cinematography and storytelling, he can put together a really good movie. Same thing with The Rock. I mean, I think The Rock is one of his more successful ones because of its restraint. And I'm not going to go off on like this is a Michael Bay discussion. But when we get back to Bumblebee, that one I think set a tone and I think it's considered sort of the soft reboot of the Transformers franchise. So I had some pretty optimistic expectations for Rise of the Beast as a movie, not necessarily like I'm excited to see these beasts, this gorilla and this whatever. And I, the thought I had leaving the theater was that's how a Transformers Transformers movie should be made. Like that is it. My wife who (laughs) she'll, uh, she watched uh, the day after she, her last day of school, she watched Top Gun Maverick twice in a row. Like that's how much she loved it. And she came away from this saying, I'm excited to watch it when it comes to VOD. Like that's, that's crazy. I mean, we're talking about the seven it's listed in the movie theater, like the screen transformer (laughs) seven. And my wife is like, I'm excited to see that when it comes back to, you know, a more affordable uh, way of, of watching it. And I felt the same way. I, I, I really wanted to kind of go back in and just kind of pick through it and experience some of these things all over again, because it felt like a good two hour action adventure movie. It had elements of Indiana Jones. It had some the the Michael Bay type things, but without the kind of extremity, the, the extremeness of it. And I think that if the franchise continues this way, that's going to be kind of the way that I want to live through this Transformers universe. I'm not going to say that the, the, the Bayverse was trash by any means, because I think as a, as a critic, as someone who's, 10 years older, five years older, depending on when you watch these movies, I can appreciate what he does. I can appreciate the the bigness and the scale of it. But I think that Bumblebee sort of hit me in the feels and still accomplished what I think those other movies were doing on a smaller scale, but still in the big world of what Transformers actually is. And so everything about this movie, for the most part, was hitting those points for me. And I walked away going, man, the only thing that messed this up was this little baby crying in the background occasionally or coughing. And again, I'm not going to go on that rant, but but fortunately that was all there was. Everything else, it was so loud anyway that it sort of drowned it out. But yeah, I, I was so pleasantly happy to to watch this and be like, this is cool. It was the first Transformers movie my son watched. He enjoyed it. Uh, he laughed at uh, <laughs> several parts and, uh, you know, two hours is a long time for him to sit through a movie, but he did a great job and it, it kept his attention. So yeah, it's a winner for me. Yeah, good. I I expected that. I did not know that she was going to go, and I would not have necessarily assumed she would love it. So that is a pleasant surprise. Yeah, two things I didn't expect either, right? <laughs> yeah. That's really great. Uh, did you want more Maximals? That was one of my big criticisms I mentioned. Did you feel that there were enough? Was it balanced in the way that you expected going in? Well, because I don't have a history with the with the Beast Wars, I didn't really care that I didn't get a lot of the Maximals. I think that the way the movie sort of ends, it sets up more of that on-screen stuff for 
uh, Optimus Prime Primal is that his name? Optimus Primal. Optimus Primal. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, Optimus Primal. <laughs> and I think that if I see more of that, that's cool. I, I just I wasn't as interested in the backstory. I got enough of it. The exposition was enough for me to go, okay, this is where we're at. Um, if it spins off into something where, okay, let's go back to their origin story. Let's kind of get to the Planet of the Apes origin story. I would be cool with that and have a whole movie that sort of gets up to that point where uh where where Unicron comes in with his boys and starts doing their thing. But for me, I was really focused on just this what I thought was great was this it was a small gathering of everybody. Yeah, it was not just the Maximals, but also you only had like three or four Transformers. You didn't or, or Autobots. You only had three or four uh I don't know what they weren't Decepticons, but whatever they were called, uh um I can't remember what they were, but the the bad guys. And I like that because you get too many and then you start going, okay, who's where? And 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 then you start kind of confusing uh armor with whatever. So for me, the the scale of that, the smallness of it was was good for me. Yeah, I can see that. They're called terror cons, by the way, which I don't even know if they ever said it in the movie. T- terror like, cons or terror cons? No, no terror, like Okay. Uh, the Peter Dinklage main villain is named Scourge. Scourge, which I yeah. love that name as well. And I thought yeah. he was a very good villain in this. I thought that his voice performance was great. It was aided by some computer-generated stuff to kind of make it a little bit more raspy and scary and mean. <laughs> and I thought it was a great mix. I guess I just felt like it was a little cheap because we got only two of them that talked really, which was Optimus Primal. And I can't even stand saying it out loud, but her name is air razor. Like it's like, it's one word on paper, but it's like, you say it almost like two air razor. It's just, I don't know. Some of the names, man, I, I feel like by the time they got to this point in creating content for this world and universe, they were really struggling to come up with something interesting. Michelle Yeoh's voice didn't work for me inside of air razor uh, it just like I, I guess i'm glad that she got paid maybe like good for her you know coming off of her indie movie oscar win and she got a paycheck but it just didn't feel at all right with the way that that robot looked as that giant hawk or whatever and then we had the thing was i think i wanted more we had the cool rhino and we had a cheetah and they like they don't get to have conversation or do anything unique and special to themselves really they they do transform once and they called it, I think, maximizing, which is a neat way to twist on transform. <laughs> Would you minimize if you went back? Because well, they say it at the same time when they're going into that big battle scene, the Transformers. Yeah. Optimus and Optimus. Optimus and Optimus. Primal. Yeah, I mean, they're both Optimus. Then, Optimus and Primal. That's what I okay, call it. Okay, Optimus them. and Primal. Optimus and Primal. They're like running side by side and they like yell to their teams, transform and maximize at the same time. And I was very thrown off. And I was, were you surprised that they turned into humans? It's like the reverse kind of thing. Yeah. Are no, humanoid? It wasn't. Be- well, because again, the, the idea is that you, the form is the human form and the, the alternate is the, is the well no i guess you're right yeah because they spent most of the movie being animals and then they transform into soldiers i think that was kind of cool because you had primal who as as he was transforming he put on his battle armor so he didn't really change that much and you know the the cheetah and the rhino essentially just went like two-footed instead of four-footed <laughs> but they were still kind of the same but i think what you're talking about is when they yelled i think Optimus was yelling Autobots and Primal was yelling uh, Maximals like at the same time. And then they both said roll out, which I thought was kind of cheesy. I get why they did it. But (laughs) roll out is a vehicle um, assumption, like because they're vehicles, like you don't see (laughs) animals rolling out. (laughs) So but I get why he did that. And it was kind of like, (laughs) that's funny. But um, but no, I I think for me. I I think the the main character of of primal was set up appropriately enough that I didn't really need to hear his henchmen, his sidekicks, his people. Um, I didn't, I didn't mind Michelle Yeoh at all. I thought that her character was, was really cool, even though you can't, it's hard to pronounce because again, the names can be kind of dummy, you know, whatever. Like even when we were looking up the cast listing and 
my my son was looking he's like who is Archie, and then like what, like A R C H I E like no it's A R C E E I said like, oh R C like because I was thinking R C like you know like an R C car like remote a control. like a yeah R literally yeah remote control yeah <laughs> and <laughs> it's just they're not they're not real intuitive besides the one that you already know so for me I didn't necessarily mind the limitation of all that. Um, I did like the the way that they transformed though. I love seeing how these animals became soldiers. And I thought that was a cool little twist that they were the opposite of the Autobots. Because the fact is, this whole movie tells us that it's not just two factions that we grew up with or that we knew about. It's not just Autobots and Decepticons. You've got these Terabots and you've got these Maximals. So there's there's this mythology that's sort of getting expanded upon. So to think that they're going to change in sort of an opposite way, but sort of accomplish the same thing where they become soldiers from something else. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I I was left curious about Unicron and Scourge and where all these things came from. And is are because Unicron to me, the name and I didn't look this up, but it just it hints at it being from Cybertron because it ends in on and it's a robot. So sentient robot. So the, or are there just multiple sentient robot alien races out there that happen to have interacted with each other it, it is very fascinating and interesting stuff for sure i didn't really latch on to many of the new transformers uh if anything i thought it was they weren't the the highlight other than mirage so i, I felt really bad about thing this because i've been sort of a pete davidson I guess agnostic. I've never understood why everyone loves Pete Davidson as an artist at all. And he keeps showing up in movies doing cameos, but I legitimately thought that his performance as Mirage was the best thing in this movie. He was perfect to me. Like every line was just hilarious. He was the absolute epitome of nineties culture of being into the hip hop scene like Noah was of understanding what was going on in the world of TV and the world of fashion and all of these things, the way he, and he was, he was interested in it and excited about it. So he was like the analog that kind of got us connected to the human character. Cause we could understand him. And the other transformers are all like, you know, following in Optimus's footsteps where he's saying, stay away. You know, we've been in hiding for seven years or whatever it is after the events of Bumblebee. Like, we're not trying to interact with the world. And here's this Mirage guy who is incredibly interested in the world around him. He's got curiosity. And he just had such a great arc. I thought that as a character, he was like the only one that really started as really one thing and then grew into something else. And I guess we could kind of say that about Optimus Prime a little bit too, but other than him, Mirage, you know, goes from being just a transformer into becoming and befriending, becoming friends with him and befriending this human and all the way to like having a legitimately caring, sacrificial relationship with him. And I just thought it was so good. And even there was, you know, like you mentioned with the Bay excess, the dialogue here being completely not vulgar at all was so refreshing and even the one sexualized joke I couldn't help but laugh out loud so hard at and it's the one where Mirage says it to Noah and he was like bro you've been inside me and and it's an innuendo where I don't think kids necessarily are going to think of it that way because they're looking at it literally which is great he was inside him literally you know but like adults are going oh my gosh <laughs> you know and 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 I think since it's the only joke like that it works so much better because you know basically michael bay's movies like every other line of dialogue is something akin to that and it just got so gross and overwhelming anyway i just thought that mirage and pete davidson were fantastic and they made the movie for me well i absolutely agree and i think it's because it's that humanization of the character which I think is sort of the charm of what we saw in the original Transformers movies, where you had the militant Optimus Prime doing his thing. And that's who he's going to be. Optimus Prime is always going to be the serious one. 
I, I was reminded of the Memphis Belle, the movie where you have this crew of, of ragtag. I know it's it's so bizarre. It came from another thought that I was having. But you have different characters in there. And Sean Astin plays a character named Rascal who's just not taking his job seriously. He's a bombardier. He's like, nothing ever happens, whatever. And it's opposite Matthew Modine's character who plays the captain, who's always so just solemn and stern and very pensive. And I think it's the same way with these relationships between these Transformers. You have to have a guy who has levity. You have to have a guy who is going to not just crack jokes for the sake of cracking jokes, but actually pushing the story along. And I love the scene in the warehouse where they all meet up for the first time. And he's trying to he's trying to just calm the guy down. He's like, hey, hey, cool. Can we can we just do this? And he puts his fist out. He's like, come on, come on, throw it at me. And he does the fist bomb. He's like, we're bros, we're bros. But then he's the liaison between Optimus and the humans, his motivation is completely selfish. It's completely like, I want to get off this planet. I'm ready to go. So tell you what, when we leave, you can sell me. You can sell this car. I'll become whatever you want. But by the end of the movie, it's exactly as you said. He is a friend. And it's through that relationship with his brother, obviously, that helps with that. But I think that you have this relationship between Noah and Mirage that becomes more tangible. It becomes more of a thing that you attach yourself to. The success of the Transformer franchise is when you can make uh, a an audience member cry when a robot dies. <laughs> I mean, and this happens. So I knew in my head that Bumblebee was coming back. Obviously, I knew that Mirage couldn't have. I I, I was almost thrown. Until the little teaser, I Mirage thought Mirage thought, okay. was gone. I, that got me. I'll be. I will. Well, be admit it. I will throw it out. I was. It, it surprised me when he came back. Yeah. Then I thought that he was like just being reincarnated in the form of like a suit because that's there's this great moment near the end of the movie where they're on the plane, uh, which is also hilarious. Transform the fact that the, the plane way. is a sentient. Yes, there's like an old man. <laughs> old man. But you have Noah looking at the suit and thinking, okay, so I guess Mirage, the spirit of Mirage lives on in this like cyber suit that's kind of really neat. And it turns out, no, that's not the case. Somebody actually made a great point online that said that doesn't really jive with Transformer logic because if he's recreating Mirage with like human parts, even though the Transformers come from like Cybertron and Cybergenetic type things, that doesn't really work, especially since Bumblebee has proven that the only way to bring a Transformer back is through the Energon and all this stuff. I, I, I'm like, whatever, that's fine. I like the fact that we're going to get more Mirage, hopefully. But I think that the the genuineness of their relationship and how it grew over the course of the movie really got a lot of people connected because you have a guy who's not, he's not, not taking the mission seriously. He's just looking at it from a different angle and you need that on a team. And so I think he his relationship with Optimus and the rest of the team helped sort of create this kind of completeness for everybody. Like all of them sort of had a role. Optimus was the leader and he's not going to be shaken. And then opposite him, you have Mirage who is just as committed to the mission, but he's like, Hey, can we, can we just take a step back here? Because this is a little crazy. Uh, why don't we get the human to do it? Cause he's my bro. <laughs> and I never felt like he wasn't taking the mission seriously. I think that's that's where the subtlety of good storytelling is, is you can have a co comedic relief, but if that guy is all that, if that's all he is, then you have no point unless he's connected in some other emotional way. And then his death or his whatever gets sort of, you know, it gets sort of just kind of thrown in the background. It's like an ID4 when I don't remember the character's name, but the dad sacrifices, sorry, spoiler alert. But he's been sort of a comedic relief. But when he sacrifices, there is some loss because of his relationship with his son and the history and, and kind of what led up to that. So I think it's the same way where Mirage's sacrifice, even though it eventually wasn't, made an impact because of the relationship that he built with Noah. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, actually. And I think that's probably why it was so good for me and not just Noah, but like the little brother as well and how he bridges that gap for Noah and Chris while he's gone. You can't think about it too hard because they're using those 
<laughs> handheld radios. I mean, I know they're amplified by like transformer technology or whatever. That's just that's sure, I sure they are. That. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it's right. cute. It's very cute um, when they're communicating and like he's in Peru and he's in Brooklyn. Other transformers, the pink one did nothing for me. I was like, why are you here? Uh, you, <laughs> I don't even understand why you're here. And the other one that really didn't do anything. But I let out a literal shriek when I heard his voice was the Peruvian Transformer. I, I don't know if that uh. was, I don't know the name, but it was Danny Rojas. And yes. I about <laughs> lost it. I I did not know that was going to happen. Did not know he was in this. I think it's the only thing I've ever heard or seen him in other than Ted Lasso and it just, I saw him. I, the train, there's a transformer standing there talking, and I'm in my head, I'm seeing Danny Rojas in an AFC Richmond uniform and shorts, <laughs> yes. you know, and just, it was so funny for me. Football is live yes. and so are transformers. He needed to say something. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, I would love for him to say that. Such a fun surprise. He's so good. I, I had the same reaction, and Carson's sitting between me and Krisha. And I don't talk in movie theaters because I respect it. But this moment, I, I leaned over and said, babe, dead lasso. Dead lasso. Because I couldn't think of Danny's name at that time. I was like, it's him. It's him. And I was so excited. And it just made me smile because right at that point, he comes in and we we recognize him because of his voice. And it's when Noah, Noah says, oh, man, that's cool. Is that your is that your, is that your normal accent? Or he goes, what do you mean accent? And then they go into that old dialogue about like, man, that's racist. Why do you do that, man? He's like, I think you're a robot. How is that right? It just kind of trails off. And I love that. And he doesn't have much to do. He is a he is a transporter for RC. <laughs> and he is the visualization of that great like rocket going through his doors. But I think that's okay. And I think the same thing for RC. The the thing is, is that you have you can't just have two transformers unless you have it, you know, like Bumblebee. You know, the story of one transformer. When you have Rise of the Beasts, you have to find that balance of like, how many do we include? That's a lot of CG, and how much dialogue do we give each one of them? And you're just gonna have some that go by the wayside. Hence, what we talked about earlier with some of the Maximals. You had two distinctly different animals that were kind of cool, but they were really more like just sort of scrubs for optimus primal and i think the same thing happens here where you don't have a lot of anything besides just action uh characters and that's okay i don't i don't need to fall in love with every autobot i don't need to hate every terracon we were meant to focus on optimus and optimus primal and scourge those are the three and and I think that that was effective. Like there were times emotionally where I was like, "Yeah, can't do it." You know, I was never gonna cry when RC got blown up or something like that. It, it just that's the way it is. When you have supplemental characters, even if they're robots that have some coolness to them, you're just gonna they're gonna go by the wayside. Same thing with humans. I mean, I didn't really care for the storyline with Noah and his brother specifically. I mean, I thought okay, you're sick. But I kind of, in my head, I played this game of if you didn't include his brother, like if 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 Chris was not even in the picture, if he were just struggling to find a job to support he and his mom, could that have worked? And I think it could have because his story was not necessarily wrapped up in his brother. That got connected with Mirage that created a connection between Mirage and Noah, but I think you could have done that organically without his little brother. So yeah. it seemed a little bit like, okay, that's some extra stuff. And I'm going to feel bad for the kid who can't get medical care because the system sucks. And, um, but you know, I could have done easily without it. So you could have, you could have turned this down a little bit, but I didn't think it was bloated or anything. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it was fine to, they, they limited it enough to keep it from overstaying its welcome. Uh, and to just help to kind of set the tone of this is the 90s and these are, you know, Puerto Ricans in New York and he's having a he's a vet and can't get a job. And how are they going to make it? It's a hard life. And, you know, such and that kind of blends with the overall setting of the time period. And of course, it's 
really leaning into the hip hop culture, which makes sense given the director, especially. Uh, and I thought they implemented it well. The soundtrack was really good. Um, tons of old hip hop 90s hits that I knew right off the bat uh, when they would play. So that was enjoyable. Then we had the other human character of Elena, who is sort of you you called it an Indiana Jones like storyline. And I, I said like a Nathan Drake storyline. It's very similar. I actually think Elena in this movie, now that I've thought about it longer, is more like Elena in uh, or, or like a combo of Elena and Nathan Drake because she's this historian and she has a love for the artifacts. Very Indiana Jones-esque, really. Not about the action. She she cares about the pieces of ancient history. And I thought it was fun that she got to do some deciphering of a language and that's what led them to Peru and they got to go into this mm-hmm. hidden little underground area of the city by solving a puzzle. I mean, I just, I was eating that stuff up. It was so refreshing to leave New York. (laughs) I I think that it was such a smart idea to make this an adventure story in the vein of something like Uncharted or Indiana Jones, because it didn't use anything else that was sort of aha in its story. I mean, a lot of the stuff is really formulaic. You're, there's a thing that's going to destroy the world and we have to go find it before the bad guys get there. I mean, this is this is Raiders. This is Temple of Doom. This is an Indiana Jones uncharted story. But I think that just like the reasons we like the sequels to Uncharted, the reasons we like watching Doom and Raiders and Last Crusade and hopefully uh, Dial of Destiny is the fact that it's a refreshing take from a character standpoint. We're meeting new people. We're going on a different adventure. We're finding fun little set pieces and we're just seeing how creative you can get to go find the thing that if you don't recover it, something bad is going to happen. You could easily just drop the Raiders of the Lost Ark sub, you know, story on top of this and you get the same beats. Nothing wrong with that at all. I think that's a what I think is smart is that you're doing it with Transformers. I mean, I would never have expected us to go to Peru and do this like tomb hunting, you know, tomb raiding to find this thing and to know that, oh, it was split in two. And I, you, know, you couple that with the mythology of the of the Maximals and all these different things. It just makes it feel a lot bigger without having to make things visually bigger. So to have a different location altogether, I thought was great. I love the recreation of 1990s New York. I mean, when I saw that skyline, the Twin Towers, like, oh, wow. You know, my kid's never gonna he's never gonna know anything about that because he was born, you know, twelve years after that took place. And you know, when you go back to a time period that is not the eighties, I mean, we can think about the eighties being, you know, gone and done over and over and over again. This reminded me a lot of Captain Marvel, where we go back and we, you know, she lands in a in a blockbuster. We're like, oh, that's funny. I thought that everything about the setting for this, not just the places that they went to, but the time period did not feel overtly nostalgic. Like it felt like, okay, yeah, this feels like the nineties. You know, you've got, and that soundtrack is, is just legit, man. The best needle drop in the entire movie legit to quit. was Bumblebee's return. Mama said, knock you out. <laughs> oh, you know, yes. Don't call it a comeback. Oh, dude, that moment I was, was like, I think the whole crowd, everybody in the crowd was just, yes. And it's, I mean, it, it just, it's a perfect song for that moment, but everything else in the movie fit in terms of what was going on. So it was a great use of a soundtrack. The, the way in which we saw nineties, New York was really fantastic. And the subtlety of it, I think it helped me not feel like I was trying to be forced into a time period that was not the, you know, 2023. So you know, it's it's hard to do that. It's hard not to make something feel like you're going back in time or to a time machine where things are so d- different and you can get lost in that. And I, I thought the movie was just really smart about putting us in a time period, reminding us occasionally of where we are, using certain things to help kind of rem- you know get those reminders, but not letting that be the distraction 
and be the thing that we're that we're doing. Like, oh yeah, hey, remember we're in the nineties. Remember, like when 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 Elaine is looking up uh, art, the artifact stuff on her computer, I was like, oh yeah, pff, Windows ninety five. She's not, slow. Uh, she's is not, what I was thinking. Yeah. Wow. She's not on a tablet. Yeah. It she's, sucks. <laughs> you take yeah. a while. It's like almost microfish level at this point. <laughs> exactly right. But it didn't call attention to itself. She was just looking it up. She was like, man, I wish this were faster. Uh, it was just there. And I thought that was really cool. Did you get anything out of the emotional, like Optimus Prime versus Noah moral dilemma of what he was trying to accomplish? So Optimus obviously wants to combine the trans warp key and use it to get back to Cybertron. They have been stranded here. And so if you aren't fully up on the events of this franchise, you might not have quite gotten it, but you know, Bumblebee starts off with the war. That's what happens in that movie. And they end up getting exiled down to earth and stuck here. And so they've been here for seven or eight years. And his whole motivation is like, I need to get home. He doesn't know what's going on in Cybertron. Like that war could have been still going on for seven years. It could be over. Like he doesn't, he can't know. Um, and he is determined to like get his people back to their home. And Noah is saying, but if you do that, you put my entire home at risk. How do you make that decision, right? Between one world versus another. It's it's fascinating. And I thought like it was a little unexpected for me in a Transformers movie, to be honest. I didn't really care, honestly. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> You've got to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I just <laughs> just blow them both think, up. Go ahead, Scourge. No, Patrick's well, <laughs> on your side. You, Patrick's on Team Unicron. No, I just the tension there was. It was just. It was like okay, yeah. I, I think because I know the future, because I know if this is in the transform, if, if you're including Michael Bay's Transformers, I know that they don't leave. They don't go back to Cybertron. Good point. And I, I think this is where the weakest part of the movie is for me is that with Bumblebee, it was all about the relationship between the transformer and the human. And that's been the crux with a lot of the, the mythology of the transformers, not just the movies, but the TV show. It has always been about the relationships between the transformers and the humans. How do they coexist? That I think was fantastic in here. I loved, loved, loved when, when Optimus primal introduces the transformers to this people that they have, made friends with and they have chosen to protect each other so they're keeping the key or that half of the key and in return the the maximals are protecting them fantastic what i didn't latch on to was this big idea of cybertron and uh optimus being like yes we want to get back there it to me felt dehumanized which it should have been because these are robots but it didn't feel like it was something that I necessarily cared about. There was enough in the movie that I was caring about locally that an intergalactic, like we need to get home, wasn't something I was really interested in. And I think some of that had to do with the fact that you have this villain in the form of Unicron that eats planets. And I remember from the, the 1986 movie, uh, it was that he was the big thing, like literally and metaphorically, the, the villain was Unicron. Here, I was like, Unicron is the guy, and but the guy is Scourge. Even though relationally, uh, Unicron is the guy behind the guy. In this movie, Scourge was the villain. Uh, Unicron was the means to the end at this point. And I never felt like Unicron was going to eat the planet Earth or that he, I mean, when Scourge shows up on the, the maximal planet, and has that throwdown with the previous Primus, Primal, Primal. Yeah. I was like, okay, this dude's for real. Like when he rips his emblem off and, you know, attaches it that to his That was a cool, arm. like, world like building piece. The fact that he yeah. was, like, and especially because it leads up to like Optimus, like taking Bumblebee, uh, Bumblebee's like logo back. Oh, yeah. That's a great move. It was good. Well, yeah, you're right. Because it sets up like, who are all these other cons or bots or you know these other these are the races that you alluded to to me he was the villain 
I never felt threatened by Unicron until the moment when Unicron started showing up. And I think that the movie sets up a little bit of a future, like, okay, Unicron's lackey is now dead. What's the, how is he going to make it back? He's trapped somewhere, but he feels a little bit like Zod from Superman two. Like, okay, he's been thrown into the, uh, into the, the negative zone. And now at some point he may get broken out. How does that work? But I also don't know how it's going to work because you have to have, I mean, Optimus can't fight a planet eating robot. He can't do it. It's just too big. (laughs) It's just not possible. So that notwithstanding, I think for me, the, 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 the problems, and they're very few, are that that portion of it. Like I love the battles between Scourge and Prime and, and just the the just the fight. But I never felt like I cared enough about the history or the future of the Autobots and Cybertron because I've already lived in a world on Earth where Transformers and humans exist. And so I didn't really latch onto that as much. That's a really good point. It's a difficult thing anytime you're going to do a prequel, right? When people know the end result can't possibly be what you're trying to make us fear could be the the result of of an action. So I guess I got lost in it because I didn't even think about it. I was like so – I don't know that I was worried about Earth either. I didn't really care that much. I, I wanted to see Unicron try though. Just visually I was like, please try to eat this planet. I, I just want to see what it looks like when you try to like munch on You're it. the jerk now. <laughs> no, I didn't want him to – you know, I just wanted him to nibble. You know, like Nibble. You know, maybe <laughs> appetizer Antarctica or, you know, I'm going to take a little piece off of Alaska. I'm trying to here. think That's of, good. I was about, I was, good. I was literally, I had like three or four countries on the tip of my tongue and I was like, oh, I better not say that one. Oh, I better probably shouldn't say that one. Somebody's going to get real <laughs> mad if I say that one. So that's why I said Antarctica. <laughs> like I got to pick somewhere that is okay for you to nibble on. But, uh, pick a coastal. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get some water in you. But, uh, no, I agree. I agree. Were there any other, like big moments you mentioned block uh bumblebee's revival and and that was probably the one that stood out the most to me as well but anything else like kind of shock you not not the ending we'll talk about that in a second no i think i think for me what i what i enjoyed was the the movement like the 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 creative movement of seeing the transformers transform so moving from uh, you know, animal to soldier or vehicle to to soldier. That's always going to be something fun to watch these things transform on screen. It, I got some, I got some Snyder effect in me. There's a lot of slow motion, but I understood why. It's because you have lots of cool things happening. You want to be able to focus on that. The bullet through the, you know, through the uh, through the car was kind of cool. I I thought that for the most part the creativity of each of the of the transformers was nice at one point i was actually you know with the terracons they get introduced as their robot counterparts not the vehicles and i was curious in looking at them before they actually transformed in the back half in peru what they were because normally in the in the cartoon you usually have a what you transform into has some function of some kind and i thought it was a nice little sort of triptych effect of scourge is a is a tote is i think a tow truck of some kind and so he's going after after optimus who's a you know, big rig and then you have whoever the i guess the the mustang or something the old school i don't know what the thing was going after uh mirage as a porsche and then um I don't know what the woman was, but I thought that was kind of a cool little like pairing of the different ones that you have a three, three and three. So the the action pieces just were, they were, they were not long for my, for my taste. Uh, they, they felt just concise and tight and purposeful. So yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Good. Yeah, me too. I think she was a plane of some kind jet. Yeah. I remember very distinctly the flying part and the transformers didn't really have anything to combat that until a air razor. I can't say it with a straight face. Showed up uh, to help out. Okay, so the surprise. You made it, hopefully, to the theater because I wanted you to badly. Uh, Did not want that spoiled. No one knew it was coming. I was genuinely surprised 
in a way that I have not experienced in a movie in a very long time. Whereas, you know, typically, even if I haven't seen like a spoiler for something that's going to happen, I've been able to discern things throughout the plot of a movie or whatever. You can figure out where things are going, I think, pretty well. And if you know Hollywood like I do, you know casting and things of that nature. But the way that they did this final scene of the movie, and it wasn't a post-credit scene, which I, I thought was amazing. Noah shows up at this special interview, and it's a, an actor that is very familiar uh, to me. And I think to many people, so it's not just some like random person that is trying to hire him. It's someone that you immediately are clued into, oh, this could be a somebody of importance in a future movie. Why would you get this guy unless he's going to have a role going forward? This is the, I'm going to walk through my whole mindset as this thing is playing out. So that happened. And then he starts talking to him. He's like asking him about like secret society type stuff and basically telling him how he knows about the Transformers without saying the word Transformers. And I immediately lean over to people on my left and right. And I'm like, oh, Sector 7. I mean, obviously, like, and every, oh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. Like, he's he's getting recruited by Sector 7. This is so cool. And I think this is what makes this moment so brilliant, is that anybody who has that familiarity with the franchise, and me having just rewatched the whole thing, you're thinking of another Latin character, John Turturro, who was like the person, the thing of Sector 7 for the whole normal franchise. And he's being recruited by this secret agency. And so it's so easy to go, oh, Sector 7. And they hand him the business card. And I'm like, oh yeah, here we go, here we go. He's gonna flip it over, Sector 7, Sector 7. And then the stupid thing says, G.I. Joe. And I I lost it. I, I would love for you to tell me how you felt about that. Did it actually leave a mark on you? Or were you just like, meh? <laughs> I I was confused. What? Because <laughs> they're both Hasbro. No, I mean, What's I confusing? I, no, I knew that. Okay, I knew that Hasbro owns the property of both. I am not aware of any cartoon or TV show or movie where these two franchises ever crossed over. I could be wrong, and I think it's amazingly cool if that happens. Um, but it just feels like left field. <laughs> And I know that it's not because of the property rights and it would be cool. This is, this is the moment that you're like, this is where fast and the furious needs to merge with Jurassic park. Like we have to have dinosaurs and, and speedy vehicles, like joining forces. That's what I felt like. I was like, this would be cool. And I hope this is cool. I feel like this is turning in. This is going to turn into like a, that's cool. No, we're not going to do that because it won't make enough money. However, it made a ton at the box office this weekend. And so I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I think it's because I've seen G.I. Joe already <laughs> as a live action. And I know that they're doing something different. So I'm meh about it. I'm sort of halfway excited. But I wonder how that's going to look. And I don't know what to expect. So I, I was sort of left going, okay, all right, well, I see what you did there. But we'll see. I wasn't like I wasn't throwing my popcorn and anybody saying, are you kidding me? I literally my wife did. asked almost. What's that? I didn't have, I did? didn't have popcorn, but I like was, you know, like, did you throw your notebook in critic? Like, invisible popcorn was essentially coming out. <laughs> up, up. No, I thought it was cool. I, I mean, it was something that was definitely surprising. And so for me, I was watching the scene play out and for, you know, the. 30 seconds that the guy had his back to me. I was like, who is this guy going to be? And he turns around and I was like, I don't recognize you. Um, and then he hands the card and I'm like, okay, what's this going to be? And then it said GI Joe. And my reaction was like, okay. And then my wife asked me when we were driving home, I was like, what does GI Joe have to do with transformers? And I'm like, that's a legitimate question. And the, the answer is Hasbro. Right. <laughs> that's what it, it is. is but Hasbro owns both. I loved it. I, I thought it made perfect sense. I immediately went and started Googling to see, because I, so I grew up a G.I. Joe fan. I wasn't a Transformers fan growing up. I was G.I. Joe. So for them to do that, I thought, A, it just makes perfect sense. The It's a tech-heavy special 
weapons organization, it would make like a lot of sense if they would be aware of the Transformers and the Transformers would be aware of them. And I don't even care how it affects the plot continuity going forward because I immediately came home and was complaining about it the entire drive home. My roommate Ryan was like, dude, just relax. <laughs> he was like, who cares? Because <laughs> I was like, no, you don't understand. They had this nest team in the first series of movies, but they were not special. They were not G.I. Joe. And he's like, they could have been. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. They were, it was an accident. They didn't come together. Anyway, I don't care anymore. I just want them to go do stuff together uh, on missions. And that will be awesome. But I, what I was getting at was I, I immediately started Googling because I knew there was a communications expert for GI Joe. And I was like, what if he's Hispanic? What if it's actually going to be no ideas? Like if that, if, if I just was not smart enough to catch the name, but it wasn't, um, it was a different, a different character, but I think it would be cool if they made him into that because they talked about how he was in the military and they make, they play it up. Like he has this communications background. And so for him, if he goes into the, I think his name was maybe breaker, but if he goes into it, he's got like a transformer suit or whatever. If maybe does he still have, is Mirage giving him part of his body? I don't know what's going on there. It's really yeah, weird. That, that confused me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's happening. Like, is, is, I think he still has it's the suit. Creepy. I think he's got parts. Yeah. Oh yeah, because so he says theory, I'm giving you a piece of me or something. I think I can't. That remember. was the that was the oh, weapon. that was the that cool was the weapon that it, yeah the, the, the wrist the wrist yeah. rocket thing. No, I think I think for him for Mirage, what I think happened is the suit stays intact, and he builds Mirage from for some other parts. Apparently, he builds Mirage back with the 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 Earth parts. How Mirage gets in there, I have no idea. Maybe there's some magic in the emblem that shows up uh that that does something i don't know but i'd like to believe that he has the suit because the suit's kind of cool the suit is uh one of those that was confusing to me is 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 the suit mirage because the way mirage talks it's like um yeah i'm still alive but you're gonna have to drive i'm like and then he becomes a suit i don't know so that that's my theory is that there's a there's a part of the suit including the emblem that gets built into this car that he finds life there. Maybe he gets like a, I don't know, a, a nitrous version of Energon <laughs> to bring it back to life or something. And then, you know, Mirage wakes up and he goes, when you, your family, you know, that kind of thing. He does his own little Dominic Toretto, but yeah, I, <laughs> it's cool. I mean, whatever the franchise goes from here, for me, the bigger, the macro viewpoint is that it's on a good path. Like I really think that Bumblebee rise, the beast, these are two great entries into this soft reboot that you could legit, you could legit make these independent of the Michael Bay movies because they may take place before, but they function as their own independent universe. And I think at one point, like Unicron is, I think it's in the night, uh, the Dark Knight, Night 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 Rider, whatever the uh, the last night, or it's revealed that Unicron is actually earth or something like that and the fact that it's not here i don't know so i think there are some things that get broken away from the the michael bay universe that are really setting up this is a new thing and the fact that you know bumblebee's the same he has a sort of his own origin story that sort of ties in i think that if you're putting gi joe in here instead of sector seven that's cool i'm fine with that i i was the opposite of you i grew up really loving transformers and liking gi joe a lot the thing I knew about was that both the both G.I. Joe and Cobra Command could never hit each other. Like the the lasers never hit. They were terrible shots. That's all I remember about that. And that Starscream, the voice of Starscream also voiced, uh, I think, Cobra Command. Uh, <laughs> dude. So that was my only real big connection with G.I. Joe. So I'm glad. Cool. You know, let's let's roll. Let, roll out with G.I. <laughs> Joe and Transformers. Let's do it. Yo, Joe, not Yo, oh, Joe. Anyway, yeah, Yo, <laughs> yeah. well I, if since you brought it up and i was curious about this too i'm gonna assume this is not like a four and a half or five star movie for you even though you really had a good time with it and i'm curious what would that look like is it possible for a transformers movie to exist that is a four and a half or five star blockbuster movie for us and if so what would constitute that 
Like, what do they do wrong on a minor level that that could change it and up it to that that level of uh, special? I think trimming some of the story for this one, like this, this is this is four. This is a four star okay. for me. This was this was one that I didn't forget about after leaving. Like I, I was like, I kind of want to go see that again. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that um, at some point, you know, if it's still in the theaters. And I think it has to do with the less is more approach. Bumblebee sort of set the tone of that, but Bumblebee's not a five-star Transformers movie because it's not really a Transformers movie. It's a Bumblebee origin story. And yes, Bumblebee's a Transformer. Great. But a Transformers movie has to have more than one Transformer. You have to have a legit transformable foe, <laughs> like a like a scourge. I think if you had removed Unicron from the fold, I think if you had removed Noah's backstory or the the, the story with Noah and his brother, I think that would have probably upped it because those things didn't really add to what I thought was a like a, a an amazing story. It was really, really good. I think you could have made Scourge someone who had that kind of power as an assassin, as a as a as a as a not planet eater, but as someone who was a conqueror, you know, like a like a Genghis Khan type of character. Because he comes across that way. And every time he checked in with Unicron, I was like, oh, yeah, he's a lackey. Okay, he's not really being controlled uh, by he's not making his own decisions. So I think if you had made him our main villain in, you know, in, in lieu of, of Unicron, and I think if you had given Noah his own agency without having a family to support where he's still struggling, you know, in a 90s era New York and trying to do that, um, given, you know, given Elena a little bit more little um maybe some sarcasm here and there you know give her a little bit a couple more quips i think that would have done it i mean it, it's it's setting a great table like again it's a four-star movie for me but i think if you trim some things that really didn't add to the overall story and gave me a good just sort of tight uh action adventure that jumped beyond one city then i think that's that's what does it for me yeah i think it's tone for me probably more than anything is a consistency of tone and you know, I, I'm sure someone could go look at my favorite list and try and pick out singular examples to tell me I'm not being consistent or whatever. But I definitely lean towards believable seriousness when it comes to big threats. And there is, even though the humor is still there in the, or even though the humor is not nearly as vulgar in this one, it is still constantly a bunch of jokey Transformers <laughs> for the most part outside of like Optimus. And I think I found in my rewatches of the Bayes movie, of Bayes franchise films, my favorite parts of all of those movies were often the war sections. I mean, and sometimes a couple of those movies are like the, the last hour and a half of those movies are just big battles, which I phenomenal for me phenomenal uh but like the more serious stuff is when i find myself locking in and clicking with it and so i think that's what it is for me it's like a pretty much a deadly serious transformer movie that has a couple of jokes here and there but maybe not a joke character like not a singular transformer that doesn't exist in for any other reason other than to be comedic relief but just a cast of transformers that Maybe something funny does happen by accident, but like that's not the main reason that might get there for me. But I like this a lot and I love this formula as well. I mean, I I'm a fan of the whole whole series and it's it's been di given to us in different ways already. So, yeah, I was just curious. It's a good answer. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Feeling Film. Next week is a huge, huge week. We've got Pixar's Elemental, got The Flash, Transformers is still in theaters if you haven't seen Spider-Man is still in the theater. So as you mentioned earlier, Aaron, there's a lot to see. So uh, obviously we're not going to be recovering the movies that we already have. So we're still kind of figuring out what that looks like. We're leaning towards The Flash. 
and hopefully you'll get a great conversation regardless. Aaron, thanks for this conversation. It was great as always. We'll talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.